0: pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to the Manuscript Academy podcast. Today we have Anika Kalia, who is an editor at Viking Penguin Random House. Anika, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell us about how you got started in publishing? Um, I got started in publishing kind of serendipitously,
1: um, when I was a senior in college, I so I was in an English and a South Asian studies major at Connecticut College and while I was doing an independent study project my senior year, I was working on novels by South Asian writers that had to do with the 1947 partition of British India and you kind of read a lot of novels probably as English majors. And some of them you love and some of them you don't love. And of course, I had gone through a semester where I didn't love most of the novels that I had been reading. And so diving into novels like A Fine Balance by Rohington Mystery for this project kind of like brought back a love of reading that I feel like I had like missed for a little while. And I kind of had like an aha moment where I was like, oh my God, people do this for a living. They make good books for a living and that all happened while I was having like a mid-year crisis of like what I was going to do after graduation so I decided to like see what it would take to get into publishing and of course everyone I talked to was like you're never going to find a job in that industry like you're really yeah they were like oh like you should not like put all your eggs in that basket And I went ahead and did it anyway. (laughs) So I did a bunch of informational interviews and applied for internships and jobs. um, And I ended up getting my first internship in publishing, which was at Little Brown Books for Young Readers. And at that point, I didn't know whether I wanted to be in children's publishing or adult publishing. I hadn't really made that distinction yet. But when I got my internship at LBYR, I was like, this is it. Like, I love kids' books. I'm not doing adult. And it just kind of, like, went from there. Um, I interned at Little Brown for six months, and then I got hired at Viking, where
0: I'm an editorial assistant now. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Now to clarify, you are an editorial assistant who can take on projects. Yes, I
1: am. Mm -hmm. I have so I've just kind of started that process of the, you know, the acquisition process. I I'm slowly kind of looking for writers to work with and meeting with agents and some other younger people in the industry and getting my name out there. So being a part of the Manuscript Academy has also been a great kind of experience for that.
0: So I believe I met you at one of those speed meeting events wasn't yes. it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. The speed dating thing. Yeah. So every three minutes, another editor would show up at your table. I think this one was actually five. Three was ridiculous and that's what they did before. So oh I my think God. this one was five. Even five. I was like, I have so much more to say. Like everyone has to know <laughs> everything that I want. <laughs> well, but that's great that it won't fit in five minutes. That means you're interesting. You're not just like, books. Oh, thank what you. kind of book? good books? Good literature for one, please. Um, I can feel the writers at home wondering how it works for editors when you're allowed to take on projects. Do you want to go through some of the different steps people go through?
1: Yeah, so... Have a conversation with your supervisors and you kind of get the green light to start putting your name out there to agents in particular who can connect you with writers that they are representing. It's actually, it's a really fun part of the job. And I think one thing that people don't know about publishing is that, like, I think people think that people that work in publishing are very introverted and bookish people get kind of a bad reputation of being shy and awkward and that kind of thing. And a lot of book people that I know are actually very outgoing and extroverted. Not that being introverted or shy or quiet is a bad thing, but I think it's kind of a blanket statement about being in publishing that I have found to not necessarily be true. Um, And this is the fun part of the job where that gets to, that side of people gets to come out a little bit more. So I go to coffee with a lot of agents. I go to lunch with a lot of agents and I not only find out what kind of um, projects they're representing, but I get to just talk to them about their lives and um, what they're interested in and TV shows they like and music. And so it's it's a, Big, like, relationship
0: building thing, too, which I think is really fun. Yeah, it it really surprised me also because everyone talks about themselves as if they're awkward, but they have a certain charm to them. Yeah. (laughs) It's like they're awkward in the most adorable way possible, which is a little bit confusing, but also delightful. It's cute, awkward. It's cute, awkward. (laughs) But it's also, like, authentic, awkward. It's not, like, put on awkward.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend right now, and it reminds me a lot of the the situations that I get into publishing with, with, like, talking to agents and, like, having coffee with them reminds me a lot of the main character, like, of that show sometimes, who's, like, adorably awkward. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so you start as an editorial assistant, and then you go to assistant editor, and then associate editor, and then editor and then senior editor, and then executive editor, and then editorial director. Cool. So what are the perks you get at each level? The higher up you go, you get a lot more time to work on your own projects instead of spending a lot of time assisting other people. So for me, um, at the editorial assistant level, I spend most of my day Helping my boss, who is the editorial one of the editorial directors of our imprint, and then I do a lot of my own work to find projects for my growing list on the evenings and weekends. You get an assistant to help you the higher up you go. I also think you get access to more interesting projects the longer you've been in the industry, and I'm like super interested in like maybe working with celebrities one day like I love that the adult you know section of the market does a lot of like collections of essays and celebrity memoirs and stuff like that um and I would love to bring that to the children's space as well because I think there's a lot of smart people in Hollywood that could have something to say that would resonate with kids and the higher up you go the easier it is to kind of like make connections with those
0: people Mm -hmm. so In your huge amounts of spare time, what do you do? (laughs) Um, I love to play soccer. Um, So I play on a recreational
1: soccer team in Brooklyn. um, And I was actually an athlete in college. Um, I played tennis in college and I kind of needed a break from that sport. So now I play soccer since I moved to New York City. Um, And I'm not very good, but it's really fun. And last year we did actually win a championship. Oh, For one of our leagues. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you can usually find me like at Brooklyn Bridge Park um, or some parks in Williamsburg play soccer on weekend nights.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It doesn't get cold.
1: It does.
0: <laughs> We're apparently still
1: going to play in the cold.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: Yeah. I'm going to stock up on some, like, thermal gear (laughs) to to get through this.
0: That's true. I'm sure someone somewhere has invented exactly the technology (laughs) for soccer in the park in January (laughs) in New York. Leggings. I love leggings. Like, my plan now is to wear leggings Friday through Sunday, so darn, I can't do anything hard those days. (laughs) Because they're not pants, Oh, shoot. I have
1: to stay inside. (laughs) Yeah, that is pretty much my plan.
0: That's a good plan. I should adopt that. So what would you do in an alternate universe if there was no publishing? I would love to be a pop star, I think.
1: Like... Okay, so like when nobody's around and like, at least I think nobody's watching me, I love to like dance and like belt along to songs, like not just sing, it's like full out like whatever... air or whatever I have in my lungs is just like going into this note that Beyonce is singing who and she's doing it really well and I am totally not but like I have a fake microphone like with my fist and everything and like when I'm like really into it oh I do this in the car a lot too like when I'm driving I don't drive in New York City I'm from suburban Massachusetts so when I go home and I have I borrow a parent's car to like go to the grocery store or something, that's when I like really jam out. And those are the moments where like in an alternate, I'm like in an alternate life, I would totally be like Beyonce 2.0 or oh. something. See,
0: this makes me so happy because I specifically got myself Bluetooth Earbuds so I can blast music in my ears while I dance around my apartment. Exactly. I've done that
1: too. I was cleaning over the weekend and I had earbuds in yeah. and was like sweeping the floor and also dancing at the same time. It was great. Yeah, it's like
0: your own personal musical. Yes. And your neighbors never have to know. <laughs> now, granted, whoever lives downstairs from me is probably not pleased. <laughs> yeah, they they'll be okay, though. <laughs> they'll be okay. So tell us about an aha moment when everything came together. I guess like related to when I was trying to, you know,
1: figure out whether I wanted to be in an adult publishing or or children's publishing, because you have to make that distinction. There's no like crossover jobs and things like that. Children's publishing, it feels at least from my vantage point is a little bit ahead on the curve on kind of conversations around representation and diversity in children's literature. And through my internship at Little Brown, I I couldn't articulate it when I was a kid, but I started to figure out after working there and kind of being privy to some of these conversations, like how important it was to me, even as a kid, to have seen myself in the media that I was consuming, and I realized, like Bend It Like Beckham, it's a you know movie from like 2003 about this like British Indian girl who like loves soccer, but her parents don't want her to to play it because it doesn't kind of adhere to their like traditional values. But she finds a way to like play it anyway because that's what she loves to do. That was my favorite movie as a kid, and I didn't understand until I was like like two years ago, really, that it was one of my favorite movies, because I was like seeing myself and my family in it. And kind of figuring all that out was like an aha moment into like why it felt so important to me to like, be part of this industry and be part of giving kids, you know, future generations of kids books where they are seeing parts of themselves and their families. So that they can kind of get the confidence they need to like thrive in their lives. Something that like you and everybody else kind of just tells you that like you like the movie because you also like soccer, which is what I liked to do as a kid too. But it wasn't until these conversations about representation were happening around me where I was like, oh, I think there was actually like a bigger reason why that was so important to me as a kid and like is still one of my favorite
0: movies (laughs) (laughs) like it's so 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 important for kids to have that growing right now
1: yeah because it kind of shapes who they become as adults it's much easier to kind of form a kid's mind than it is to form an adult's mind or
0: reform a kid's mind Mm -hmm. and we want them to feel like they're growing up in a world where their perspective matters and it's going to be nice what do you wish writers knew about things on our side of the desk I wish that they knew kind of
1: how much of my regular work day is actually spent not looking at their submissions or like editing books and stuff like that. People think sometimes that editors are being rude when they take so long to respond. Um, and it's we're really not trying to be rude. It's just there's so many other things that we have to take care of during the workday that, um, you know, evaluating submissions and actually editing books happens on our off, uh, you know, outside of the office. Um, and that's why it takes longer to, to respond to people. And we really do want to like make your book the best that it possibly can. So that will also add time to the process of us giving you feedback
0: yeah I really wish there was a way to show people just the enormous quantity of what everyone has to do every day yes Um, because I've absolutely had that conversation over and over again that's well this is a picture book it takes five minutes to read so how come it takes you longer than five minutes to get back to me (laughs) (laughs) has anyone said that to you and I'm always like ah well,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, if you would like me to just say yes or no, then yeah, sure, I can get back to you in five minutes. But like, if you want some actual feedback—that's gonna some constructive feedback—that's going to help you your story get better—it's gonna take me longer than five minutes to like think <laughs> through my thoughts and also to put myself in the position of a kid reader who might see this, and then you have to think about you know, not only does this story, like, make sense, but, like, is it applicable? And, like, does it make sense to someone who's at a different stage of development than you are as an adult?
0: Yeah, that's a lot of putting yourself in another perspective. Yes. While also having the adult perspective of, but will it sell? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So what are the things that you think are doing really well in the kids' world right now?
1: Graphic novels. Um, and middle grade books in general are doing really well. We hear over and over again that those are the two kind of fastest growing categories. And I think graphic novels are bridging that gap between, you know, to bring more reluctant readers into, into the fold, because they're obviously heavily illustrated. And so there's many levels in which you can engage with a graphic novel you know not that they're not as good but they're the levels in which you you engage with a novel are different because there's no art attached to it humor is always something that's selling at every age category if you can make someone laugh especially if you can make both a parent and a child laugh like that's really going to put your book in a, a whole nother space because parents are the ones that are buying the products and kids are the ones that are getting delight out of them. And if you can make it an experience that both of them, both a parent and a child can enjoy together, um, I think you have like a really winning Combination—that's
0: a really special thing too to have that. laugh For both the parent and child, find the same thing funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's a very special skill and very hard to pull off.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> I always thought that like something like the Lion King did that really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember watching that movie as a kid and liking it, and then watching it as an adult again with some of my cousins, and was like, this is one of the fun, like the comedic timing in that was to me, like amazing.
0: And I, I feel like that multi-layered approach to things just makes me think that whoever's writing it is a genius. I know. <laughs> Send the geniuses my way. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want, folks? Books by geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> Please and thank you. <laughs> um, what are you in particular looking for these days? Um,
1: I'm looking for books for all ages. So picture books through young adult novels. I like humor in every age category. And in picture books, I like books that can kind of subvert the traditional picture book format. B.J. Novak's The Book With No Pictures, and there's another book that Viking published called Snapsy the Alligator. I
0: love (laughs) Snapsy. Julie's actually a faculty member too. Flacco? Yeah, she is. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. She sends us
1: gifts sometimes. She does? I (laughs) mean they're amazing. They're so great. (laughs) She sends us like pencils and stuff that have like cool sayings that have to do with like the book that that is recently being published she has a um a book that came out earlier this fall called no boring stories so she sent us like these little notebooks to the office that were like basically like so we could write our own like not boring story oh
0: that's so nice
1: she's great she's (laughs) so funny
0: yeah when I was trying to describe that book to my mom it was like and Snapsy did not ask to be in this book (laughs) he really doesn't
1: want to be here Um, but what's so funny about that book is like there is it kind of introduces kids to the concept of unreliable narrators and it also has this breaking the fourth wall narration style where you know chicken is telling you a story that is not true in any shape or form. And then you have Snapseed just kind of interrupting every couple of of spreads being like, that's not true. That's <laughs> not right. Actually, it's happening this way. I don't actually want to be here. Um, and that's not something I'd seen very much before Snapseed came along. And that, that kind of narration style seemed something atypical, but also like really interesting. Mm -hmm. In middle grade, I love like a touch of magical realism. And I love books that have settings, ordinary settings that kids and adults are very used to. But there's something about them that Heightens it and makes it feel fresh. So there's another Viking book that was published earlier this year called "Payback on Poplar Lane," where a ten-year-old boy decides to start his own business out of his garage, and he um, hires his neighbor to be his unpaid intern. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he they the two of them are supposed to sell rocks out of his garage but he fires his intern three days after hiring her. <laughs> and so she starts a competing rock business oh, in no. the cul-de-sac and they kind of um, fight for you know territory. You know, cul-de-sacs, going to school are all things that we see a lot in middle grade novels, but this entrepreneurial aspect of the book brings it to something that we haven't seen before. Um, and I also think that, book is really funny so go check it out.
0: (laughs) Do you enjoy stand-up as well? I do. I was thinking for a while that it'd be fun to have like publishing stand-up like imagine all the ridiculous (laughs) things we could say.
1: We have a lot of conversations about that in our office sometimes. Like we have very serious conversations about things like sponges that can talk or, (laughs) you know, like these random things. And we're like, if people overheard our conversations, they would not believe that we get paid
0: to to talk about this stuff. But it really is part of our job. Like the logistics of whether a sponge can talk.
1: Yeah, and like how plausible these things are in the context of a story because they have to make sense for a kid. And so you have like have very serious conversations about the logistics of these things because they have to make sense in a story.
0: That makes me so happy, the image of a bunch of um, adult professionals talking about the logistics <laughs> of magical things in kid, in kids' books, it makes me very happy. <laughs> yeah I have all these fantasies about like following people around on their day-to-day lives with like a camera crew and being like okay guys go talk about sponges (laughs) or like recreating it I feel like we could like have a faux acquisitions meeting in here and then like it'd be really funny oh that would be so great or
1: just have a, a camera crew like come into a real acquisitions meeting where like a publisher is very seriously talking about like the viability of a book about worms and ants and, like, them building, like, houses and stuff like that.
0: I think that's adorable. (laughs) And everyone does it with a straight face.
1: Yes, exactly. And then you realize what you're talking about every so often and you're like, I do love my job. (laughs) Like, this is what happens on a Regular basis and it never gets old.
0: That's adorable. I like that very much. <laughs> um, Can sorry? I eat a piece of cheese? Please, let's have a cheese break. I was actually looking at the cheese as well. I still don't know what this is, but I like it. It's so good. Tell us about something that isn't nearly as scary or hopeless as Writer's Fear it is. I worry sometimes that when I give
1: a lot of feedback to an author, I don't want them to take it as there is, like their book is not good. I think a ton of feedback really just means that like an editor has a clear vision for it and they want to make it the best that they possibly can and authors shouldn't be scared of tons of feedback and it doesn't mean that they're a bad writer or that their their book is like in really bad shape. It just means, it usually means that it just takes a lot of sentences for an editor to explain the point that they're trying to get across in a way that seems
0: clear and concise. Well, not really concise, but clear. I think a lot of writers do hear feedback Mm -hmm. and there's so much pressure to get it right the first time even though that almost never happens.
1: Yeah, writing is a process and like as an author who is so entrenched in a story like all the time it can sometimes be hard to take a step back and see things from the bigger picture or identify like pitfalls because you know the story so intimately. So that's really what an editor's job is is to find the things that an author may not have seen already and get it to the best place that it can possibly be before a a consumer sees it.
0: Right, because you're writing from your perspective and the editor is there to help you see what everyone else will see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is really, really tough though. I think a lot of writers think that if they don't get it right the first time, their book is going to immediately be rejected. Or that, you know, even if someone's purchased a book, the publisher is going to ask for the advance back. Or well hopefully they don't. Um, that's pretty rare, though. I think so. I
1: There are very few instances I've seen where... I don't think there's any instances where an editor is not going to work as hard as they can to get a book to where it needs to be. And I've actually seen editors have tough conversations with authors and say, like, what you're writing right now is not working. But you can, you know try a different idea. Like, it's never like an editor is going to drop you because you don't get the story right on the first try. They will, as long as they see that you are trying, they will do everything that they can to give you the time and space that you need to work through all of your ideas. Like, it's a symbiotic relationship and editors are not out to screw authors out of, you know, advances or things like that. And it's never, it's usually not like you get one chance and that's it.
0: Yeah. I think the, the key element here is trying. Mm -hmm. Obviously you don't want to be that author who says, nope, my work is perfect. None of what you say is going to happen.
1: And there's, I don't know if not a lot of authors know about this, but there's also that kind of in-between space or really in-between stage of the process where an editor might Read a submission that an agent has sent them from an author that they're representing and not feel like it's quite at the point where they can acquire it, but they see something in it to make it better. So they send revisions to the agent and ask if the author is willing to revise, and then an editor can take a second look at it. Um, and of course, authors are not being paid at that point, but Um, An editor will do that if they feel like they are connecting with something and it's just not quite at the level that it needs to be at in order to be
0: acquired. People talk about revise and resubmits with agents a lot. And one thing that surprises me is that there seem to be a lot of people who think that agents kind of just do this for fun and they're not invested at all. (laughs) Um, And it's also even stranger to me to hear that people think that when editors do that, because I don't think most writers grasp how little time we have. Yeah. So anything that is tailored to you at all is a huge compliment and a huge investment of time and energy and effort. And, you know, for one two paragraph email that you get, that's probably hours of thinking about a project. Oh, yeah. I'm going into that process
1: right now. I'm actually trying to find the the time and the headspace to write what I think is going to be a long email to some to an author and an agent um, and give some kind of notes on a on manuscript that they've sent me, but it's because I want this to be better and I like want it to be at the point where I can take it on and turn it into a book because I'm connecting with it. So I think other readers will too.
0: Um, and it's a, it's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of work. And you want to make sure that you've spent enough time thinking about it in the background that you know everything you want to say. Mm-hmm. I'm in a similar situation now where there's something I really, really like But the way the narrative arcs are structured, it's not working for me. So what I would be asking is a lot of work from the author on something that's incredibly clever on a sentence by sentence level. Mm -hmm. And so going through and I typed up my notes today and I mean, I feel bad I've made her wait a while for these notes, but it's hard to go from a place of, I know there's something here to, I know exactly how to fix it. Yeah. And I've seen my boss do amazing things where she gives a writer, you know, three lines of notes on the phone. And the next day, it's immediately perfect. And that to me is almost magical. <laughs> does not happen for everyone. It's um, like a unicorn has popped up. Right. <laughs> not everyone sees a unicorn every day. <laughs> um, that particular kind of unicorn sounds great to see every day. <laughs> that would be a magical world indeed. But um, yeah, it's one of those things where sometimes it takes a while to articulate to yourself what exactly is not working. And you don't want to send someone in the wrong direction. Because you wanted to get them notes as soon as possible,
1: yeah. And I think authors would understand that um, they spend a lot of time thinking through their ideas, and you know, writer's block is a real thing. And like, it takes you a long time to get to a point where you have a very clear vision of what it is they are trying to say to a reader. And I think that people sometimes forget that editors write just as much as authors do. It's just a different form of writing. And so it takes us the same amount of time to get to a place where we feel clear-headed enough to articulate what it is that we are looking for from an author. Um, And then it's going to take an author as, you know, just as long, if not longer, to
0: execute those kind of ideas. So... It's a patience process. If I knew the answer right away for everybody, that'd be fantastic. I know. But I I don't.
1: I would be a super editor. That would be amazing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What's one of your memories of a fun day in New York or in the industry?
1: When I was an intern at Little Brown, we had a Halloween party where everybody dressed up as characters from books that LBYR had published but we got to walk around the office in like athletic wear and like dog ears and sunglasses for a little while because it was like a I think it was a pool party dog pool party picture book (laughs) um that was really fun children's publishing has really fun Halloween parties
0: (laughs) so what's your number one tip for bears coming at it from the perspective of a children's book editor. I think
1: thinking like a kid as much as possible is always helpful and thinking like a modern day kid. So if you don't have any kids in your life, kind of doing as much research about Things that are working in that market in other aspects of the media, whether that be like music or TV shows or movies or something like that, to understand like what appeals to a kid. Oftentimes I see in submissions, you know, adults trying really hard to they they kind of include content that they hope is funny to a kid, but they it's clear that they're coming at it from an adult perspective rather than putting themselves
0: in the shoes of a kid it's hard to do with our cynical hashtag adulting yes <laughs> <laughs> But it's a little break hashtag kidding going. oh I like that yay yeah. <laughs> we should make that Trend. trend yes sure why didn't we think of that first we'll just make that trend and <laughs> <next up. laughs> that'd be funny if we have that power <laughs> what should trend hashtag kidding um and
1: where can we find you online you can find me on twitter at at meeks underscore kalia one two and that's spelled n-e-e-k-s underscore k-a-l-i-a one two
0: Great. And you are also available for consultations?
1: Yes. Consultations and written critiques. Um, So definitely find me on the Manuscript Academy website and book consults with me because I really want to help you make your stories
0: great. And as you can hear, she's very smart and very nice and will not get mad at you for not getting it right the very first time.
1: No, never. I've actually had a lot of people book multiple consults with me um, over a period of a couple months because they want to refine things and ideas off of me based on what they've, they've worked on. So I'm definitely open to looking at things more than one time because we
0: never get it right on the first try. That's just how the creative process is. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming out and joining us. Thank you for having me. This is great.
1: We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be,
0: But it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our First Pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.